Welcome to the Smarticle Podcast, where we take a good article and make it gooder. Hey, Brandon, it's Faith Fridays. I love that. And we love the good folks at the Center for Action and Contemplation. It's founder Richard Rohr, a Franciscan friar, kind of our North Star here on the Smarticle Podcast. Both of us are signed up for his daily meditation. You can find it at cac.org. They're going through their core principles. What was last week's core principle number six, Brandon? What was it? Ooh, that's a good question. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, was it list- asking good questions? No, that was a, you know what? I, no, that wasn't it. What was it? I forget, too. I was just a test. I don't actually know. <laughs> Life is about discovering the right questions. It is. Oh, oh. The primacy of discernment is what it's called. Wow, well, you're terrible. How dare you challenge me? Anyway, Larry, Shabbat Shalom. As it's a Friday show, Shabbat Shalom to you. And all our Jewish friends out there, may they enjoy a wonderful Shabbos. Baruch Hallelujah. Did I get that right? Oh, my God. No, you're terrible. Stop. (laughs) Stop it. I have Jewish friends that are puking right now. Anyway, go on. Seventh core principle of the CAC, Center for Action and Contemplation. True religion leads us to an experience of our true self and undermines our false self. This from Richard Rohr. The The true self is who you are because of divine indwelling, the Holy Spirit within you. We are all tabernacles of God, says Paul. What happened in Christ, the anointed one, is an announcement of what is happening in all of us as well. That seems kind of big. Uh, this, seems is, big. this is the biggest one, without question. This idea of death to your false self and, li- living, and living your true self is... I think one of the single biggest challenges of any person's life, regardless of their faith, is sort of putting aside your ego, whatever you've told yourself about yourself, and sort of accept they oftentimes refer to it as emptying out the vessel. Like get rid of all your crap. I mean, we see that in a lot of places. A lot of like self-help programs do that. A lot of meditative retreat programs do that. A lot of a, a lot I mean that idea of emptying out your your sort of ego. Um, you see, when people go see shrinks, they oftentimes will talk about, like, how do you remove your ego? How do you remove those things that are not true to who you really are? What message have you been, have you been telling yourself that is, in fact, false? And I think that's what Roar and the people at, uh, at the uh, Center for Action and Contemplation are talking about, right? Is this idea, who are you really? Who, is, who really is Larry Olson or Brandon Doble? It's, uh, he goes on to first say, putting the human in the divine together is what it means to be the Christ and what it means to be the new Adam and Eve. That's, I, I really don't understand. I mean, I, I do believe God is in all of us. And so then it's essentially just making that connection in yourself that God is in there. It is. It's believing that God is in there. Yeah, and believing. It's believing that, I don't even know if believing is the right word because I think people can believe and not accept it. I think it's more... It's part of what the discipline is. I think you have to start with belief, but in order for it to actually grow, you have to work towards it. Mm. I think it has to happen through contemplation, you know, uh, through meditation, through prayer, through study, being around the right people. Mentorships are really important. I mean, Rorick's people do a lot of work around male initiation rituals, and a lot of people go, oh, male initiation rituals. Well, you know, men are going to find initiation rituals, whether they find it in a gang or they're going to find it from wise brothers, but they're going to find some way to figure out what it means to be a man. 
So that's I, where they pushed to that. I already know what you're going to say about this answer, but this seems like a very right now thing. Like if you're living on the Serengeti and you step out the teepee and a line's going to maul you, you don't have time to figure out who you are. These people in Haiti, they're living in absolute squalor. Don't have time to sit around and meditate and be like, who is my real self? So this seems like just a very slim slimmer of people in the long timeline of humanity that get to actually figure this out. Well, but why do why do why would Francis or others say that in order to truly draw closer to God, we need to take uh, poverty? We need to understand that our need for God. I mean, people in Haiti, you might find that they actually have a deeper faith yeah. than people that don't because they need God. They rely on God because they, in fact, live in that constant state of of lack. We don't live in a constant state. We have we have more than we could ever need. So we wrestle with how do we figure out how to actually give up that stuff that we don't really need that gets in the way of our growth or our faith. So I, I think that's probably what they would what the answer might be. I don't know. I, yeah, I often well, wonder when you're in true poverty, how how do you get there? You know, it's funny. I think the bridge between that and today is tr is slavery in America, right? You see the great spirituality that comes out of Negro songs back in the slave days when they had were, were literally owned by someone else and they developed this spirituality. Like, I think that's the bridge. You Well, can you unpack that a little bit? I'm not quite sure. It's like, they, they, you know, they're obviously working in the fields and they come up with songs and they realize they're at the bottom, you know, and if Haiti, if you're a... And destitute in Haiti now. I just think the bridge between having nothing and being sort of evolving human being to now where we get to sit, me as a privileged person, sit and contemplate my realm in the world. The bridge between that is, I mean, I, I, I just trying to have an example of that, I think is that spirituality that the slaves had in America where they dug deep in themselves and like, no, there's a cause greater than this. I'm certainly not living it, but they came up with songs that are beautiful. Well, that's what I mean about having a lack, right? We have a lack. It's easy or it's easier to lean into God when we're struggling in that space. So, mm. so when you think about the old slave or Negro spirituals, right? I looked over Jordan and what did I see? Yeah, you know, um, the idea of they were they were looking to those Bible verses. That's the irony. It's these these white, yeah, slave owners Great taught irony. them to read the Bible. And taught them and sort of converted them to Christianity, and it ultimately became the tool for their uh, salvation. They became stronger Christians and, and stronger believers in the message of Christ and the message of the Bible than were their owners, right? Because they said, "Look, it's not about this life. I might be in slavery in this life, but when come you know come that great get up morning, I will get my reward in heaven, and this person will not." And I think that's that idea of. You talked about at the very beginning. We've we've referenced you and I both referenced the the great C.S. Lewis. I think is his magnum opus, the Great Divorce, where he talks about you know people that choose to keep their egos, choose to be what they were on earth rather than choose the greatness of, in a sense, what he would say heaven. And I think that that's where when you're when you have no greatness on earth, when you are in poverty or you are in slavery and bondage, uh, human chattel would be the word. When you when you are in that place. To have hope in a greater life beyond this life would be easier than if you had all the good things in this life. You're like, well, how good could it be outside? And that it's harder to reflect on that. I think that's part of it. You know, I mean, I think one of the main things that I've gotten for Richard over his readings is that everything belongs. 
And I think in my Christian upbringing, it was always like sin does not belong in this world. But I think Richard says it does. And it does because it changes. It all is part of the journey. We don't just throw, oh, that's the sin part of my life. It doesn't have a purpose, but it does. It truly does in navigating myself, coming to my true self and who God is and all that it entangles in my journey. Well, and he says that the idea of sin is sort of a separation from God. Same thing that C.S. Lewis says, same thing that Tim Keller says, right? When we're separated from our deepest being, we are in a state of sin. When we are disconnected from the true self of God, we look for various false and addictive ways to fill our emptiness. So when we see those people that are like, I got to have that brand new Tesla, or I gotta, I'm, I'm drug addicted, or I'm an alcoholic, whatever it is that you do that, that makes you feel better than the person next to you or better than what you think you are, in a sense, that's a hollowness. That's a shallowness. It's not to say that having a Tesla is a bad thing, but if you make that into an idol, that in a sense, takes the place of God in your life. And that's what he's pushing into. If you do that, you will not have that full richness of life that you could have if you didn't do that. I think feel like we've been talking theoretically, so I'm going to go down here. When do you feel like your truest self? Like, when do you feel like you're the most you? I think that's a great question, number one. I think that for me, if I'm really, really honest, it's only moments and it's only glimpses. But when I am in liminal space, that idea of that painful space when I'm struggling with something and I come and I, and I rested in it and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. I, I can't go any further. It's when I feel the most, when I'm the most raw is when I feel the most alive, when I feel the most human, it's hard and it's painful and no one wants to stay in it, but it is where I feel like I am the closest to God when I'm in that state of need. Mm. And it doesn't happen very often, I'll be honest. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's the funny thing. Like, you're not often your truest self the most. <laughs> well, because it's, it's. I think that our truest self is outside of, in a sense, the corporal world. And, and not to yeah. say you can't, people, they're, they're, certainly that's what Francis and others, Mother Teresa, others were pushing at, was saying by, by sort of creating poverty when you don't have poverty is how you find your true self. So in a sense, when you're raw, when something bad's happened to you, you are impoverished, you are suffering, you are in pain. And that's when God, re I mean, that's when I think you can most easily see God because your own ego, it's like you messed up. You're a loser. You blew it. Something bad happened. Your wife left you. You lost your job, whatever. You're, you can't lie to your, you can lie to everyone else, but you can't lie to yourself. And I think that's when it comes down to it. When you get to the point where you cannot lie to yourself. And that's why we did an, uh, we did a, an article, uh, last couple of days ago on sociopaths. And I, that's why the article bothered me because I don't believe God makes mistakes. I don't believe anybody is, uh, is without healing. And so when someone says, oh, there's just, you get away from them. They're just bad people. I'm like, okay, that may be true, but there's got to be healing for the sociopath. Just like there's got to be healing for the leper. There's got to be healing for me. Right? So that's why, what I think about that. And we talked about this a little while ago, talking about like emails, you get a hundred emails in a day and it's the one bad one. You forget about the 99 good ones. It's always the bad things that take up the most mental energy, which helps us or diverts us from being our true self. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's the challenge, right? That's why we seek meditation in the morning. We, mm. we seek to create that in a sense. There's a, there's a term called espacio, which means sacred space. I'm sure I've referenced oh, yeah. it, 
right? It's this idea of how do we create sacred space around us to allow sort of, in a sense, how do we push back the boundaries of our life so that we can allow God? I mean, obviously God can do anything if we believe in a creator God, do anything. But I, I think that the idea is that our ego blinds us to what God wants for us. So if we could just push back the boundaries of our ego and empty ourselves, God can fill up that emptiness. It is a great moment when you can feel like your true self. Like when you can, I don't even, like if you just feel like you're at one with the universe, I don't know if that's another word to say in that. Those moments are few and far between, but when you get them, they're just really precious. Yeah, and it's what gives us hope in the future, Larry. And I would like to thank you once again for teaching me my need for poverty. So thank you, Larry.